Hey, good morning again, everybody. So glad that you chose to spend part of your weekend with us. Like Allison said, my name is Joel. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here. And no matter uh, if you're here in the room with us, thanks for being here. If you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube, we're so glad that you could spend time with us from wherever you are this morning. We are in week three of the series called Relationship Reset. And as we've been saying every week, 2020 it's been quite the decade, right? I mean, it's a crazy, crazy year. It's like uh, all the history of a whole decade has been crammed into one crazy year. But one thing that 2020 has done is it's kind of put all of our most important relationships in a pressure cooker. And it's uh, revealed cracks or made some new cracks in our most important relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our family, with our coworkers or our friends. And we, we think it's really important to talk about relationships because I've been saying this throughout the series that God wants you to thrive in your relationships even more than you do. He created you for relationships and for those relationships to thrive. Actually, one text that we've looked at every week in the series is found in the book of Matthew, which is one of the ancient biographies of Jesus' life. And at this point, uh, there were some religious leaders that were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could arrest him for. And they asked him, hey, hey, Jesus, hey, Rabbi, uh, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing for people to do if they want to follow God? And Jesus, uh, in his incredible way, he answers with this. It's found for us in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind, with your, all of your everything, basically. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is asked what's the most important thing. And it wasn't just following a bunch of rules. It wasn't staying away from bad things or doing a bunch of good deeds. It was actually relationships. Jesus said the most important thing is this vertical relationship between you and your heavenly father and the horizontal relationships with your neighbors, with your spouse, with your kids, with your partners, dare I say, your in-laws, with everybody, right? That was the most important thing. And we took this a step further last week, and I said this, that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining relationally immature, (laughs) It's impossible to be spiritually mature, to be all that God created you to be while remaining relationally immature. Relational maturity and spiritual maturity, they go hand and hand. So that's why we're talking about these relationships, especially at the end of a crazy, crazy year. So in the first couple weeks of the series, just to recap, first week we talked about isolation and being disconnected from each other and how the on-ramp for a deeper relationship was pushing that reset button on our vulnerability from being real with our the people that we're in most important relationships with. Last week, we talked about communicating with one another and how the goal of our communication should be to listen better, to be better listeners to our spouses, to our kids, to our parents, to our coworkers. And this week, uh, we are going to get ready to rumble because we're going to talk about fighting with the people that we're in the closest relationships with and how to fight for those relationships instead of just fighting in those relationships all the time. And to get us going um, in a lighthearted way, I thought we'd go to the internet because that's where all great logical fights happen, right? The internet. But there was a time before the really serious fights that people would have on the internet where we had a little bit of fun. I found this one a couple years ago. Maybe you remember there was this clip where you would listen to uh, this audio and people would hear two different words. They'd even hear, either hear Laurel or Yanni. So we're going to play this. I want to see where we're at in the room this morning. Laurel. 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 All 
All right, anybody hearing Laurel, Laurel this morning? Laurel. Anybody hearing Yanni this morning? Laurel. Yeah, we got some Laurel. Yanni's. So weird. There's Laurel. like some dark Laurel. magic going on that people can like hear Laurel. different words, right? But I hear Laurel is clear as day, but people are all over the place with that. You also remember about the same time, there was this dress that broke the internet, right? The gold and white dress or the blue and black dress. I see as clear as day, I see a gold and white dress. Gold and white dress in the house, or if you're online, put in the comments where you're at. Golden white dress, blue and black dress. Anybody? Yeah. Strange people. Strange, strange people. I don't get it at all, you guys. And here's a one battle that's been tearing apart households forever, this next one here. Yeah, toilet paper, under or over? Where are we at? We're, we're team under, by the way. Team under? Just a couple weirdos. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Team over, the correct way, the Jesus-following way. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, but we have fun with some of these fights. But the reality is that, is this true? This is what I find to be true, especially in our families and our relationships. When you fight in your most important relationships, nobody wins, do they? Right? When you fight with your family members, with your spouse, with your kids, with the people you got to see all the time that you care about deeply, nobody actually wins when we fight with these people, right? There's no winning these fights, Uh, We tend to have these close relationships to where they know how to hurt us the most and we know how to hurt them the most. And so we'll put the screws to them or we'll like twist the knife in a way that can be deeper. And then it just leaves everybody bruised and bloody and a little embarrassed about how far we took it. And I don't know you, but I know enough about me that I know we're alike that none of us want this to be something that characterizes our families are these kind of conflicts. And and I think as we talk about fighting in our families, uh, we need to actually go back and look at how our families fought in the first place. So we'll put this question up this morning. I mean, how did your family deal with conflict growing up? And here's a disclaimer. If you are sitting with your family, this is not the message to do the elbow thing. Let's let like God read us instead, like put us in the hot seat this morning. But how did your family of origin deal with conflict, because I think everybody's different. And what I've found, or maybe it's just my marriage experience, is that uh, the families deal with conflict differently, and you always end up getting together. And so you have this expectation of how fights are going to happen, and it's just never that way, because it's so different. How did your family deal with conflict? Uh, Just a little scoop into my family growing up. Uh, Let's just say we had animated skirmishes, and uh, this is where the volume was elevated quite often, right? I mean, we were a yelling family. We were a passionate family. My mom is in the room, so she's trying not to die right now. Um, but we, we, it was honestly, for us to get our point across, we thought we had to raise our voice louder than the person we were talking to. This is just the way that we dealt with conflict in our family growing up. Uh, fast forward to when I'm 17, I start dating my now wife, uh, Megan, and her family was quite different. Uh, her family, it was never a loud thing. It was a kind of like, oh, you know I'm upset, I'm going to walk into the other room for a couple hours, and this thing's going to hopefully blow over kind of family. So I remember one time early in our marriage, the combination of these two conflict styles colliding together, we're in the car having a heated discussion, and I'm driving, and I just start raising my voice because I'm very passionate about what I'm feeling, and all of a sudden it gets really, really quiet. I look over, and I'm like, oh, Megan's got tears coming down her eyes because she's never like, I thought you were going to break up with me. I thought it was all over because you raised your voice. I'm like, no, girl, I'm just getting started. Like, this is just, I'm just feeling, I'm just feeling what I'm trying to get across here. You know, it's just like that combination of conflict styles does not mesh sometimes. And just another little flashpoint into the Larison family growing up. Uh, my brother, who's playing drums, killing it this morning on the drums, he's a little bit younger than me, and we used to have these fights all the time. There's one time we were sitting in the kitchen doing homework, 
And I was probably just being rude, not being a very nice big brother at all. I probably deserve this is what I'm trying to say. But all of a sudden, Drew gets quiet. He stands up. I think he leaves the room. But what Drew had done is he took one of those big Saxon math books, the hardback math books, if anybody remembers those. And he had come right behind me to where I'm just like doing my homework. He comes behind me, whacks me on the head with a Saxon 87 math book. I still got the imprint on the back of my head. And then he just takes off because he sees the look when I turn to him. It's just the look of like I was Bruce Banner now in the Hulk and things are not going to be good. He takes off down the hallway into the bathroom and locks himself into the bathroom. I am undeterred. I run down the hallway and I'm so angry I start like hitting with my shoulder the bathroom door and break the door off its hinges. And I just poke my head in a little bit like uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining and just like look into the room just a little bit. And Drew's like, oh my gosh, this is the end of my life. But the moral of the story is my favorite part of the story that I really love telling is that uh, Drew's the one that got in trouble for hitting me with the math book. I didn't get in trouble for breaking the bathroom door at all. So moral of the story, I learned my lesson there, right? But we had, we had some fights. We had some disagreements in our family growing up. How did you deal with conflict growing up, right? You got stories like that. Were you the yelling type or were you the metaphorical, let's put newspaper over the mess in our conflicts type? And as we dive into this topic this morning, I think this is true. We'll put this up on the screens. I want us to understand this, that conflict in our relationships is a tension to be managed. It's not a problem to be solved. I don't want to give any false illusions that what we're going to talk about this morning are like magic words spoken over you, and you're never going to have fights. You're never going to experience conflict in your relationships ever again. No, it is a tension to be managed. It's something that we can get under control, and it doesn't have to define our relationships, but there will always be an element of conflict in our relationships. Uh, it's just what it is. You, my friends, individually, you are a complicated cocktail of design and desire with a unique family history. And all those things swirl together and you face conflict and fights differently than your spouse, than your kids will because of the way that you are wired. Your design and desire and your family history all melds together and it's a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. I'll, I'll go into this a little bit further and I'll even say this, that healthy relationships have conflict. Healthy relationships have conflict. It can actually, conflict can actually be a sign that you're comfortable enough with the other person to be real and tell them about your desires, tell them about what you're feeling. It can actually be a sign of that. I've told this story before, but the very first couple that I ever did premarital counseling for, we met at a Starbucks and it was the third session and we were going to talk about conflict resolution for at least 45 minutes, right? How do you resolve conflict? And I go, hey, what, what do you guys fight about? What do you guys have arguments about? And they look at each other in the eyes, like all doe-eyed. They hold each other's hands, and they go, we actually have been together for four years, and we've never had a fight. To which I'm like, code red is going off. And as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord, I try to instigate a fight in this Starbucks. Like, don't you hate the way they put up the dishes? Don't you, like, hate this? I'm trying to get them to fight. Because healthy, healthy relationships have conflict. And it's something that you need to iron out because it's a sign that you're being real with the other person. Now, let me say this before we go any further, and I, I really want to make this disclaimer. Uh, if you're here this morning, or you're joining us online, um, and you would find yourself in a relationship that is abusive, where there's verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical, sexual abuse, uh, what we're talking about, man, we're not talking about that. And if you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself even with the question of you're in that place, oh, man, you need to get out. 
get help. Talk to somebody that can be trustworthy. Leave now. God does not desire for you to be stuck in an abusive place. Don't think that is your lot in life. You can get out, and I would encourage you to get out. But what we're talking about this morning is the reality, again, that I don't know you, but I know a little bit about the humans. Like, none of us want conflict and fights in these most important relationships to stay around for 20 years. No, none of us want to walk into the grocery store and see somebody across the, the produce aisle, and we're like, oh, man, I hope they don't see me. I'm going to keep my head down because I don't want to deal with this. Or none of us want to see that name come across our phone, a text message, or dare even a phone call with that name coming across your phone because you're like, oh, man, what is going on with this? What is this now? And even though we're, you know, we're staring down Thanksgiving here in a couple weeks, guys, none of us, none of you want to be worried about where you're going to be sat at the table if you're going to have to sit next to that person or that person that you are not on terms with, good terms with at all. So what I want to lean into and talk about for the next 20 minutes or so is this reality that there is a way forward to where you can fight for your relationships instead of having your relationships defined by fighting. Let me say that again. There is a way that Jesus invites you into where you can fight for your relationships instead of having your relationships being defined by fighting and conflict all the time. And that's where I want us to lean into this morning, this possibility that there's a way forward in your most important relationships. There's a way where you can push the reset button to fight for your relationships instead of just having your relationships be all about the fight. And if you're new around Bridgeway, what we like to do often with our teaching series, with our sermons, is that we want to answer a question that our culture, our society is asking. And we want to answer it mainly with looking at the person of Jesus and how he modeled and taught a new way forward. And maybe you don't know a ton about Jesus, or maybe your view of Jesus is Jesus is the guy who died so that I don't have to go to the bad place, and he's the guy that if I believe in him or I believe that he did something for me, that I get evacuated to heaven when this whole thing goes to an end here. And it's all about leaving. And I just want to push into that a little bit more. And what we say about Jesus is that he's so much more than that. Jesus doesn't just give us a ticket to the good place instead of the bad place. Jesus invites us to a new way to be human, a new way to walk through life that's beautiful, that's big enough for whatever challenge life throws at you. That's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting us into a new way of being a human being, his way of being human. And so I want to take us to this, uh, this gospel of Matthew. And if you don't know much about the Bible, the gospels were four biographies that were written about the life of Jesus. Matthew was the guy who wrote it down for us, the one we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to go to the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. Many people call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you're ex- thinking it's like Jesus on top of a big mountain. It's not really that. It's kind of like a hill. But be like in Tipton, Indiana. That's what's the biggest mountain, right? It's like a little bit of a hill. But Jesus is giving this message to this huge crowd of people. It's found for us in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And at the beginning of this passage, he's going through what's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes were these messages given where Jesus would start every line with blessed are, blessed are the somebody. And he's basically saying the good life belongs to, the real life that God designed you to live belongs to these type of people. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. The good life belongs to the peacemakers. And he he goes a little bit further. He says, they'll be characterized as something in our world of chaos. He says, they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
We fast forward about 30 years and there's this guy named Paul after Jesus was uh, killed and he was resurrected and saw by hundreds of people. And he went back to the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. There's this guy named Paul who starts spreading this message of Jesus all over the world. He starts planting churches and writing letters to these churches. And one of the letters was written to a place called Rome. Yeah, Rome, Italy, like today. And he's writing to this little group of Jesus followers in Rome and he's writing this beautiful theological treatise about how God is pulling together Jews and Gentiles and making this new family and how we could be a part of God's family by trusting what Jesus did for us. And he gets to near the end of the letter in Romans 12, and he says this, really practical. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, just a little sidebar on this. I love how much Paul is a realist, right? He understands that it takes two to tango when it comes to our relationships being reconciled. But he says, as far as it depends on you, as far as your part goes, live at peace with everyone, especially those close relationships that you have. He says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Like when you think about the relationship, the temperature is not boiling over where the anger is going crazy, but you're in an even-keeled peace with everyone. And so through Jesus' life and his teaching and, and through Paul, who's starting this new Christian movement in the first century, what we're introduced to is the way of the peacemaker. The blessed life, the good life belongs to the peacemaker. We're encouraged and challenged and, and given this invitation to live at peace with everyone, to be peacemakers. Oh, I have this dream that Jesus' people in the year 2020 and beyond would be known for being peacemakers in all of our relationships. This is the invitation of Jesus. This is what he invites us into. But here's the rub, here's the reality. We go back to how each and every one of us have this unique design and mix of desires and family histories to where we all have our own conflict style. When we have conflict come into our life, we all deal with it in different ways. And what I want to talk about this morning is that reality that you have your own conflict style and whatever it is, Jesus in the way of the peacemaker, it critiques that, it challenges that, and it gives us an invitation to fight better, to fight cleanly in our relationship. So I want to talk about some of these conflict styles that you and I have as part of our makeup. And the first one I want to talk about here is the peacekeeper. Notice this is not the way of Jesus, the peacemaker. This is the peacekeeper, you guys. I got any peacekeepers in the house this morning, you know, people that just like, I don't want to deal with the mess. I'm just, as long as we keep the peace, I am going to be okay, right? And here's some of the behaviors of the peacekeeper, when there's conflict, oh, they'll give you the silent treatment. They're not going to yell at you. They're just going to, you're going to look at their face and they're just, mm, the silent treatment. Peacekeepers, they live in denial. There's no fight here. I'll put the newspaper over the mess. We'll sweep it under the rug. There's no fight here at all. They live in denial that there's a problem at all. Here's another one. When there's a fight, they just walk away and close the door and hope that on the other side of the door, if there's enough time pass, the whole issue's going to disappear. Or here's my favorite thing that peacekeepers do, right? And I can do this sometimes. Instead of having the blow-up fight, they'll just, like, weeks, days, months later, they'll just, like, take these little shivs of passive-aggressive comments, right? Like, oh, oh, really? Or, oh, I'm fine, or whatever. Oh, I didn't know you wanted it now. Like, all these little passive-aggressive comments. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And the peacekeeper, they're not really concerned with making peace, dealing with it, but they just want to keep the peace. 
And hear me in this. If you find yourself as a peacekeeper in your relationships, your heart is in the right place. You don't want there to be a blow up at all. Your heart is in the right place. But hear me as your friend, as your pastor, it doesn't actually move the conflict forward. It doesn't actually fix anything at all. You know, in that same passage where Jesus is teaching the Beatitudes, just about 20 verses later, Jesus shows us and he teaches us the way of the peacemaker, not the peacekeeper. He says this in Matthew 5, verses 23 through 24. He says, if you enter into your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Oh, this is such a powerful and challenging teaching, right? I mean, at the beginning here, you know, Jesus is teaching and he says, if you enter a place of worship, in other words, if you come to church and some of you are like, it's hard enough to just get to church, to get the kids ready to get here on time, or at least after the first song, before the second song starts. Like, it's just hard enough to get there. But Jesus is saying, if you get to church and then you realize, man, I've got some relational mess in my life. I see somebody from across the room, or I get see on my social media feed someone's name, and, oh, we are not good. If there's relational strife, if there's something that is not right, Jesus, he gives this incredible invitation. He says, don't just act like everything's okay and go through the motions and sing the songs and act like, yeah, I've got it all together. He says, actually, leave immediately. Do not delay. Don't be passive. Don't just be a peacekeeper. Go and do something about it. Leave church to make things right. That is what Jesus invites us to do. You know, admit a fault, say you're sorry, send a text to set a coffee date or a Zoom date during this pandemic, maybe. Pay somebody back if you've wronged them, but do something to make it right. This is the way of the peacemaker. And Jesus didn't just teach this. He exemplified this with his life. Jesus, he actually confronted his best friends. When they were doing something wrong, Jesus would call them out about it. Jesus confronted the crowds, the people that were following him and fawning over his teaching. He called out the religious elite. Jesus' harshest criticisms were for the religious elite that felt like they were like right next to God and they had no mess in their life. He called them out. He called out the injustice of tyrants. Jesus would call people out and he would challenge people. He wasn't just concerned with keeping the peace. He was concerned with making the peace. And my friends, if you are a peacekeeper, Jesus invites you to, instead of just keeping the peace, to take a step forward and actively resolve some of those broken places in your relationship. Jesus invites you into the way of the peacemaker, not just the peacekeeper. So here's the next uh, way that we uh, resolve conflict or deal with conflict. It's, I'm just calling it the bulldog. You might call it the bully, the lawyer. My wife would, might just say the Joel, uh, whatever it might be. But here are people that they have no issue talking about conflict and dealing with conflict. Their issue is in the tact and in the way that they deal with conflict. And, you know, bulldogs or lawyers or yellers, I mean, there are people that are yelling. They lawyer up. They recall something that happened three months ago. And when you said something in a different way, and they'll bring it up in the right moment, like they're in court trying to call down a precedent in that way. They never let it go after the issue is resolved. They like to remind you that they were right about something. 
thing, uh, and they like to gloat in that way. And like I, like I said, like I can be this person. So often, this is my disposition. I'm passionate. I'm verbal. If I believe something, I'm going to argue till I'm blue in the face and try to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. And I can do this about silly stuff. I am in the cultural minority that believes that The Dark Knight Rises is a better movie than The Dark Knight. And don't boo me. Don't walk out of the service. Please don't X out there. But I think that The Dark Knight Rises is a better movie. I think The Joker was a funnier, more interesting villain, but Bane scared me, and I think it's a better movie. And while we're on Batman, let me just explain, I don't think he's actually a superhero at all. He's just a rich guy who's got an R&D department, and that's who he is. So can I get some claps on that? Is somebody with me this morning? I mean, I can argue about the silliest things, you guys, and I can just be so passionate about it. And that, those aren't actually silly things at all, but... Um, <laughs> But here's the reality. This, this attitude, it seeps into my marriage sometimes, too. When I am convinced of something, I will argue until I convince somebody, and I don't let her forget it <laughs> as we move forward. And with the, my teammates here at the church, sometimes I can be so gut-centric and just go towards something without consulting them or other people that I'm sure it can be frustrating for them as well. <laughs> And this is just where I am. And Jesus critiques this. Jesus challenges this way of dealing with conflict. And the way of the peacemaker challenges this way of dealing with conflict. Paul, the same guy who wrote that letter to that church in Rome, he wrote another letter in the first century to this church in Ephesus. It's recorded for us in our New Testament. It's called the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, he's laying out the way that these relationships should play out in our lives. And he's challenging us to live in a Christ-centered way. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He's saying that when we speak the truth in love, we'll grow to become more like Jesus and his body, the church, will actually look like Jesus to the world. Now, for me, I love the beginning of this passage where he says, speaking the truth. And Paul is saying, hey, we need to be people that don't let things go under the rug. We need to call things out in a way that we can constructively move people away from going to destruction into patterns that are going to harm them. We need to speak the truth. But I don't like the next two sentences, next two words there, right? Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Like I said, the, the bulldog, they have no issue with dealing with conflict. But sometimes the way they deal with conflict is really where the challenge is. Paul says, we as Jesus followers should be people that speak the truth in love. You see, in the ancient world, there were a couple different words used for the word love. Uh, There was one word, eros, which is like intimate, sexual, physical love. There was philia, which was like friendship and deep commitment and camaraderie type of love. And there was the word agape that was used for love. And agape love is the word that Paul uses here to speak the truth in love, in agape. And agape was this most noble form of love, this self-sacrificing, get in the mud with somebody because we love them so much type of love and Paul is challenges to speak the truth in agape in that deep self-sacrificing form of love not to be the kind of speaking the truth where we like to drop the mic or burn somebody on social media and then drop our phones right it's not that kind of love it's when we're in deep relationship with people that's the kind of love we're supposed to speak that's the kind of truth that we're supposed to speak to them I heard somebody say this years ago, and it stuck with me. If you say the right thing in the wrong way, you're still wrong. Let me say that again for the people in the back. If you say the right thing, if you're correct, but you say it in the wrong way, in a way that dehumanizes them, belittles them, shames them, you're still wrong. You're still 
in the wrong. I think this is so true, and this is what Paul is scratching at here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. I have a pastor friend who says it this way, that your words can either be a scalpel or they can be a hatchet. Be careful. Your words and your relationships can either be a scalpel or a hatchet. A scalpel is used by surgeons to cut into you to get something that's not supposed to be in there out to help heal you. A scalpel, that's what it's used for. A hatchet, this is what is like used in The Shining, right? Like this is like something that's there to harm you, to hurt you. Be mindful of how your words are used. Are they used to heal? Are they used to hurt? Because if you say the right thing in the wrong way, you're still wrong. And the way of Jesus, the way of the peacemaker invites us to not be passive, but to speak the truth in love in a way that can heal in our relationships. The last way, the last style of conflict I want to talk about is this being apathetic. I almost called this the whatever group of people. Some of us, you're here this morning, you're joining us online, and you feel apathetic. You're just over it. You feel defeated in a relationship or multiple relationships, and you just, like, it'll never change. It just is what it is. We act like we don't care, even though deep down we care so deeply. We feel beat down, defeated. We don't have the energy to go there again because we've been burnt in this relationship time and time again. And in reality, you're not just like the peacekeeper who is high on heart but low on action. You're not like the bully to where you're high on action and low on love. You're low on action, you're low on love, and you're low on hope that anything can change at all. The way of the peacemaker, Jesus invites us, he beckons us to look at it differently. There was this Holocaust survival, survivor by the name of Elie Wiesel. And he said this. I think this is so powerful for us. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It's indifference. And the opposite of faith is not heresy or wrong biblical teaching. It's indifference. It's apathy. It's, dare I say, cynicism. My friends, cynicism, apathy, and indifference. It never changed anything in this world. And listen to me, it will never change anything in your relationships either. So fight against it. Don't go to cynicism. Don't go to being apathetic. Continue to fight. And again, Jesus doesn't just teach us this. Jesus exemplifies it in his life and in his death in the way that he fought for us. Paul writes again in another place in that letter to that church in Rome called Romans. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is Jesus being the original peacemaker. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were going in our own way, while there was a chasm between us and our loving creator, God, Jesus, at the right time, he stepped into the story. He got his hands dirty. He came after me. He came after you. Oh, I am so glad that he wasn't apathetic. 
He continued to fight for us, and he fought so much, he put his own love, his own life, his own blood on the line to build a bridge to me. He didn't just write about his love and how much he loved us. He didn't just send us a telegram. He didn't write us a song. He demonstrated it, Paul says here in verse 8. He demonstrated it by dying a death that I deserve, that he didn't deserve, by him paying a price that I deserve, that he didn't deserve. Oh, I'm so grateful that this peacemaker, he went first. And he didn't just sit apathetically, but he fought for us. Listen, you guys, the way of Jesus, the way of the peacemaker is to fight for those relationships. Hear me in this. If you're feeling apathetic, if you're feeling beat down, if you feel hopeless, your marriage is worth fighting for. Your kids and the relationship with your kids, it is worth fighting for. Your friends, your mom and your dad, your coworkers, the people you got to share a cubicle with, those relationships are worth fighting for. And the way the peacemaker, man, he critiques us, he challenges us, and he invites us to follow him, to not be apathetic. So let me, let me turn you know, the camera to you. Let me turn, put you on the hot seat this morning, wherever you are joining us. Let me ask you this. Who is that person? For you that you need to make peace with? Who is that relationship that you feel like it's just not there anymore? <laughs> and your temperature goes up when you think about it. Who is that person for you? Who's the pop-up video? What's their name? Where is Jesus inviting you to not just keep the peace, not be a bully, not be apathetic, but to be a peace maker with? Is it with your spouse? You feel like maybe you've just gone from being husband and wife, you've gone from being partners to just being decent roommates at best, and there's a wall that's built up between you and them, and you're like, oh, how do we ever get back there? Don't give up. Fight for it. Speak the truth in love. See, your kids you feel like you don't even know who your kids are anymore, and they might not even know who you are anymore. And you're, there's such a distance between you. Man, fight for it. Speak the truth in love in a way that can construct them, build them up. Let them know that you see them and you hear them and you love them with your actions. It's with a coworker. Is it with your parents? Are you already dreading the countdown to Thanksgiving? <laughs> And how awkward it might be. Man, don't let apathy and cynicism win the day. Jesus created you and invites you in to better. Where are you on the spectrum of conflict resolution in your style? Are, are you a peacekeeper? And God's nudging you to just have the conversation, to be more active, to move the relationship forward. Are you a bully where you need to learn that you're tacked matters and people on the other side of the table from you they feel less than when you talk to them are you apathetic are you hopeless wherever you are this morning man i pray that you have the courage to trust jesus and here's what i promise you will happen uh, if you send that text if you set that coffee date if you set that lunch if you set that zoom meeting uh, if you have to sit next to that person at thanksgiving here's what i promise you will happen two things it will be awkward <laughs> And there'll be some awkward space. But the second thing I promise you is this, that you will not be alone. God will go before you. And God will fill the gaps between your faith and your fear. 
and you will be so grateful from the way you experience his presence. You'll be so grateful of the step forward that relationship could take that you just couldn't imagine doing it another way. May you have the courage to hit the reset button on that relationship. May you have the courage to walk in the way of the peacemaker. Not to settle for being a peacekeeper, not to settle for being the bully or apathetic. That's how we move our relationships forward. Let's pray.